We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Today we're going to talk about two things. One we're going to try and be a little unemotional about, and that's who LeBron James is as a player at this point without all of the, you know, we're not recording right after a game. We're not going to get into, at least in this segment, any of the drama, the off-court stuff. Just talk about him strictly as a player. And then in the second half, talk about the drama that's surrounding the Lakers that's really torpedoing this season. So let, let's start with LeBron. He's built a considerable legend in that he's been to eight straight finals. He's put up some of the greatest stat lines of all time. He's one of the most accomplished players in NBA history. Along with that, we have always assumed that he's kind of this cyborg that's never going to get old, never get tired, that what we've seen throughout most of this season has just been a result of, you know, this is what LeBron always does. He's going to turn it on when he needs to. He has earned a significant benefit of the doubt, and I've been one of the people who've given that to him. After watching him and watching him on tape, and I know he's coming off of an injury, where I'm at on him is that I think LeBron is one of the best players in the NBA right now. But I'm not convinced that he's still that dude. That he's still not just the best player in the game, but a guy that you completely alter everything you do specifically to cater to him. I think he's a second-team All-NBA type of guy at this point, and I think that that's totally okay. He's got 55,000 miles on his odometer, and he's in his 16th season. Like this, There's nothing wrong with that. I just think that there's a lot of mythology and legend built around LeBron that keeps us from seeing things as they are on the court. 
Do you agree with that, that there has been a decline or if we can evaluate that? And if so, what does that mean, Darius? So we're getting it in early. So yes and no. (laughs) I think this is a record. It is. Yes. Yes. So I think that the context that you said or the premise that you set initially was, I know he's coming off an injury. Can I clarify something real quick? Yes. Me saying that is the totality of his season, not just me freaking out because he's come back and he's not absolutely amazing. Like, for me, there haven't been many points this season. There have been individual games, but when I look at, like, Giannis or the stretch that Harden went on, right, or even, you know, guys like that, like, there are other guys. Paul George is another guy that's, you know, that's performing at a high level. The like this guy is unstoppable. I've had I've felt that very few times this season with LeBron, not just coming back from injury. Yeah, so I think that this season of LeBron, I think if you talk to a Cavs fan, they would probably tell you this season of LeBron looks very much like last season of mm-hmm. LeBron. And you know, that Cleveland team won fifty games. There was a lot of drama surrounding that team, right? Like they had just traded Kyrie Irving and then Isaiah Thomas was hurt. And then they had, you know, LeBron looked pretty joyless in, you know, what was basically a walk year for him. And there were all these factors. But I think that what you saw from LeBron during the regular season was basically versions of this. A guy who is good enough to pile up numbers, especially when his usage is what it was last season. And I haven't looked at his usage rate this year, but I'm assuming, especially after Alonso's gone out, and I would say probably in the last, I don't know, like 30 or 35 games that LeBron has played, where he's basically been back to playing point LeBron. Point guard, yeah. Where he has the ball in his hands and is the basically chief decision maker and offensive initiator and everything runs through him. That guy's going to pile up numbers regardless. He's like, he's just so smart and he's still such a good player. Like, you know, second team all NBA level guy. That's basically a top 10 player in the league and maybe even better when you're a forward Right. Because like the forward class is just so incredibly deep. You could make an argument that five of the top six players in the league or five of the top seven players in the league are forwards. You can make a strong argument that LeBron, even if he'd been healthy throughout the season, would be third team all NBA because you've got Giannis and probably Kevin Durant as the two on first team. Or Paul George George and Kawhi Leonard. Yes. Well, so (laughs) I kind of look at LeBron very similar that I look to Kawhi Leonard. Leonard's okay. missed, like, just in terms of Leonard's missed a lot of games. Leonard's mm-hmm. defense is obviously much better. Kawhi's clearly a better scorer and probably, you know, an equal or comparable rebounder, but he's nowhere near the playmaker that Correct. LeBron is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like sort of apples and oranges when it comes to those guys. It just sort of depends on what you value. But he was probably been right there when healthy, right around where Kawhi was I, I, I right I think Kawhi and you can is, go either way right you can yes. go either way it's I, I think it's more the point that it's a conversation but right? yes and whereas in the past it maybe hasn't been a conversation and I think that what happens every year with LeBron especially in the last eight years coming into this season is that he's made the finals every year and I think that that type of playoff success whether you win the championship or not sort of recalibrates expectations going into the new season. So, Mm -hmm. you know, LeBron's won, what, four MVP awards? 
I can't tell you the last year he actually won an MVP. It was 2013. Six seasons ago. I don't know if you'll find a longer stretch of a guy not winning the MVP, but still sort of being unanimously thought of as the game's best player. You know, even Michael Jordan during that stretch where, you know, 98 when he won the second three-peat, Carl Malone had won an MVP in there. And mm-hmm. people were like, oh, you know, but Jordan's still the best player. But I think Jordan had probably won a league MVP, what, his right. second year no, back? he had Right? Yeah, so, no, he did. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think part of this with LeBron is that being in the Eastern Conference, the regular season has been really, for him, a, an extended exhibition season. Yes. Right? And so since that's a regular season award, and that's not what necessarily what he was playing for, that it didn't really matter. He didn't need to play to win an MVP. It's different now in the Western Conference with Lakers as, what, the 11th seed now, that we've needed more of that from him, and he hasn't been able to tap into that, like, playoff LeBron yet. So thank you for getting us back on track, because as we (laughs) normally do, we get sidetracked. We digress. So I think that the point that you just made about him being in the Eastern Conference and using it, especially that last stint in Cleveland, using that as sort of a runway to get to the playoffs where he would then go into takeoff mode. I think that that has now become a way of life for him. Mm -hmm. And I think that that has truly impacted what our view of him is in the moment, in the regular season, considering the Lakers need more than that in order to even get to the postseason in a much more competitive conference. And so Mm. I think LeBron has not adjusted his style in terms Mm. of what he uses the regular season for and how he sort of preps himself for an extended playoff run during the regular season. And I think that that sort of, I don't want to say clouds our judgment of what he is as a player, but it definitely leaves a more lasting impression in how we view him in the moment right now than maybe it should. This is where I think the injury that he sustained at the time that he sustained it and the type of injury that it actually was really plays a bigger part in this conversation than it just being sort of an anecdote that Mm -hmm. we drop at the beginning of this conversation. You know, so... If LeBron got hurt on Christmas, it was basically a month and a half into the regular season or two months into the regular season, right? Right. You got to think that once the calendar year turns and we're in January, I would imagine that that's where LeBron starts or would start to sort of escalate whatever his normal routine is in order to start to build towards a more sustainable peak in what would become like March, April, May, and then June, right? That's a great point because he's one of the best ever, and this is a key to his longevity and having played the 55,000 minutes and still being regarded as one of the best players in the game is because he's probably better than anyone that's ever played at pacing himself and understanding when it's go time. And that injury very much could have knocked him off that track. Yeah, I also think not only did the injury knock him off that track, you know, from like a game reps standpoint and familiarity with his team standpoint and all of that, I think it knocked him off track truly 
and severely from a conditioning standpoint. We were talking about this and riffing on this a little bit before we got on the pod, but it would be one thing if LeBron broke his hand or like broke his wrist or something, like right? Rondo, yeah. And yeah. and he was out for six to eight weeks. And if that was the case, he'd still be doing cardio. He'd still right. be doing all of his core and leg work. He might still be doing some upper body work in terms of strength training. He wouldn't be getting game reps and sort of staying in game shape. But I don't know if he would have lost his wind the way that he seemingly has lost his wind. And you could tell that he doesn't necessarily have his legs under him at this point still. Like, he basically had a torn groin or, you know, a really bad strain. And Mm -hmm. that's going to get you off your feet and eliminate cardio work. Right. And anything that you're doing with your legs in order to keep your base strong the way that you need to for an extended push in well, well, into the playoffs. And so I think that the type of injury it was, as well as the timing, really just throws everything off of kilter in terms of how we're really looking at LeBron right now. And really, it makes it so that I don't really have a firm opinion on the premise that you placed at the beginning mm-hmm. of this conversation because I can't play out the alternate universe where we allow him to sort of build at the pace in which he would normally build at to get to the point where now, as we're approaching March, he would start to feel like, okay, now it really is go time. Because I actually think the playoff activated LeBron, that may have actually been more lip service than anything Mm. else because I actually think this is the time of year where he really would start to turn it on regardless, right? right? Because that's just the nature of the beast where basically there's six weeks left in the season. He has to be treating this now as his real point of, okay, it's go time for the playoffs. We've got six weeks left. Yeah, and that's got to be difficult considering the break in the rhythm of his entire season, right? We'll get into the drama and all that stuff later on, but that certainly plays into it. Now, for me, there are a couple of things, again, just keeping it on the court and trying to look at it from an overall season perspective rather than just LeBron trying to come back from injury and perhaps not being in the best shape and conditioning as a result of the nature of that injury. His game is predicated on a very simple either-or, at least much of it is, on the offensive end. It's I'm going to drive to the basket, and if you don't stop me, I'm going to dunk on you. If you do stop me, I'm going to kick it out to wide open shooters. And what I see time and time again when he does that, the paint is so packed. You've got, it's almost like a zone, like a high school zone, where you've got two guys at the elbow and two guys down on the block just waiting to collapse on him, just daring Lakers shooters to to make the shots. And I think that, you know, the lack of shooting, it, feeds in poorly to what LeBron does best. And I think that LeBron is trying to figure out some ways to be productive that are a little bit different than what he's always done. Now, that's a little reductive. That's not the entirety of what LeBron's always done. But the thread at the rim kick out is the biggest element of his game. And I think that that's a lot less effective on both ends of it because more bodies are in the paint. It's harder for LeBron to get to the rim. And the kickouts aren't falling nearly as often when he does kick it out. So my question for you, though, is 
what is a reasonable baseline expectation for LeBron's defense, considering 16th year, 55,000 minutes on the odometer, and a 30.7% usage rate? Where is it fair? Like, I know he's not going to be Brandon Ingram out there, right? He's not going to be Lonzo Ball out there. I, I understand those factors working against him, but I feel like it's reasonable to have some baseline expectation of do not just stand there because that's detrimental not just to that play, but I also think to the energy level of the overall team. So what is reasonable to expect from him to contribute on that end? Probably like 2012 Kobe. Mm-hmm. 2013 Kobe. Like, What do you remember of 2012-2013 Kobe in that respect? Basically, that was the version of of LeBron for about that two or three week stretch right before he got hurt. So the Lakers were a bad defense at first to start the season. They got Tyson Chandler and then their defense started to improve. Basically, They were one of the best defenses in the NBA for a large stretch. Yeah, they were basically, you know, at one point they were fourth. And then they were sixth, and then they were hovering between basically, like, I don't know, seventh and eleventh for a really long stretch. And the difference between those spots was thin, right? So you could basically just say that they were a top ten defense, which is, you know, you're in the top third of the league. That's really good, right? That's not, like, Milwaukee good. You know what I mean? but Well, considering the talent on this team, that, that's, that's a great accomplishment. Y- yes. So, so, I mean, they were probably outperforming their roster in terms of defense. And the narrative around LeBron's defense, I think, is that early during the season, he was barely trying at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he started to try some, and mm-hmm. he would especially ramp up his defense in close games late and he had a knack for sort of making biggish defensive plays in key moments like an example of that even recently was when he drew that charge on Harden to foul him out right LeBron hadn't been making really any rotations the whole game against Houston but the game that that actually that Houston game I think is a fair like that game is a fair expectation for what LeBron could be defensively yes like basically look you're smart enough and big yes, enough yes, to yes. make early rotations, right? To like be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there a reasonable amount of the time. <laughs> and and him being smart to that point allows him to anticipate what's going to happen just a split second quicker than the average player can. Yes, and so, you know, like make earlier rotations, hold your box outs a little bit more, like the version of LeBron that we're seeing right now defensively is basically the same version that we saw in the first five or 10 games of the season, mm-hmm. which was basically IDGAF. Right. And I thought he was better in the Memphis game than he was in the Pelicans game. But yeah, there are a lot of very egregious possessions well, for sure. You know, like, look, I wrote a piece about LeBron today and sort of like, how he's not playing that well, and then also saying that he needs a little bit more help than we're accustomed to thinking a player mm-hmm. of his caliber might need, which basically means that some of the guys need to step up. I mentioned that Ingram and Kuzma are not two of the players who need to step up because right. they're playing well. 
but everybody else on the team basically does, save for like Reggie Bullock or something, and I didn't bring him up in my post. But mm -hmm. the idea of when I wrote the post and I lifted a video that you had done recently sort of highlighting some of the defensive bad plays of like LeBron and Rajon Rondo, mm -hmm. there's a few possessions lately of LeBron where, you know, he might as well be in a phone booth. Yeah. Because yeah. he is just not moving at all, right? Yeah, like, it's really, really he, blatant, yeah. He is just watching guys cut behind him. He's watching guys drive right by him. Guys are crossing his face on cuts. And it's yeah. just like, he's just sort of letting it happen, you know? And there is that detachment and lack of engagement that is happening I think more within the team defensive structure than individually, right? I think individually, I'm not saying that he's doing fine, but LeBron is still one of those guys where if a guy is feeling himself, he might attack LeBron. But I think yeah. instinctively, there is still that sort of like, oh, that's LeBron, like, let's go in a different direction with this, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think that he gets certain defensive possessions off simply because he's LeBron James and guys don't attack him that same way. I think guys attack him off of the ball. So it's with those cuts, it's crashing yes. boards, it's setting screens, things like like the effort plays. What I see on tape, at least, is very much guys licking their... Like your Jake Diallos of the world, right? Being like, I'm not going to like square up and make some crazy triple threat move to get my buckets but these garbage points where I can beat LeBron by getting an offensive rebound because he didn't box me out this is where I'm going to put up my buckets and look good and oh, Kenneth you know, have Fareed. myself a good game Kenneth, Kenneth Freed yeah sure right those type of guys yeah like those guys who are like oh I'm going to make my bones off hustle plays and I'm right. going to basically those guys see red meat when they see a guy who's not hustling next right. to them right yeah. so when you're talking about like what a baseline is for lebron at this point i just think it's a guy who's engaged and is acting like he cares and that, that's what it was for me is engaged that's exactly what the word was just like i don't expect you to be fast or springy or a ring rim protector i don't expect you to get chased down blocks like it's 2007 just care and use that immense experience and basketball IQ that he has and actually apply it. And applying it in more ways than just, oh, I see the skip pass or there's the throw ahead or here's me running a pick and roll. And the thing is, though, is that just at the time, and this was sort of what I was trying to get to in, in my post, but I don't think I verbalized it as well as I could and should have. But just as the time where LeBron really needs guys to sort of lift him up more, almost the entire team is falling apart around him. And it's just compounding things and it's spiraling down. And it's how you lose, you know, to an Anthony Davis-less Pelicans team. It's how you lose to a Grizzlies team that and get carved up by them defensively when they're yes. one of the worst offenses right. in well, win the league. It's how and you lose tanking. to the, you know. Yes. It's it's how you lose to the Hawks. Yes. Yeah. Go win into the All Star break. 
Um, it's how you get beat by 40 to a better Indiana team, right? Like, they're, it's all, this, you know, they got up for the Boston game and they, you know, had a great comeback against Houston. But there is a running theme through a lot of these losses and it's just a level of in, engagement. Yeah, things are falling apart. There's, that's the plainest way of putting it. And it's the guys who you, like role players, do one or two things or three things well. You know, that's why they're role players. And right now, the things that role players are supposed to do well, they're not doing those things well at all. You know, and bro, role, role players can't not play hard. Like, I get it with LeBron and with, you know, guys of that 30% usage. We act like Kobe was a dog on defense on every single play in his later years, and he was not. He picked his spots, and like, I get it. But when you're Rondo or KCP or JaVale, like, you're not that type of dude, and you have no business not going hard at the very least. Rondo's an interesting case because he, too, is a veteran who mm-hmm. has a lot of miles on him. And we talked about him some last week sort sort of being maybe someone who's a little bit too smart. So mm-hmm. he thinks he knows yeah. what's coming. And so yeah. he's going to try to do X, Y, and Z because he thinks it's going to work. And to him, that's not a gamble. It's him sort of playing the percentages. I don't love the Rondo is super smart narrative anymore. And, you know, not saying that he does not understand basketball concepts, but he makes too many bad decisions. Like, there's got to be a different way of saying it that I haven't quite come up with. Like, he's obviously smart. He's one of the smartest guys in the game, but he does not apply it to his on-court play nearly enough. I don't see as many, like, I love smart players, right? Like, that was really clever, that play that you just did. And far more often, I'm irritated with Rondo because of something dumb that he did that then I am with like, wow, that was so brilliant, this play that, that Rondo just made. So I don't know. I, I just don't love that characterization of him after experiencing more games with him. But anyway, I digress. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that he's a high IQ player who takes too many chances. I don't know, man. He's like the guy who still thinks that he's going to get A's on like the midterm by pulling an all-nighter, right? Like he's mm-hmm. smart enough. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Like, yes, like yes. he's smart enough to do that, right? Like, oh, I'm not going to go to class for a week and then I'll skim the reading material or I'll ask, you know, one of my co-students for their notes and I'm smart enough to dissect what's going on in class. And mm. at some level in his prime, I bet he was good enough to do that, you know? 12 years in where... Now the game is maybe moving a little bit faster or guys are going to basically out hustle him or he's lost a step physically, you know, like, look, sometimes it just goes. Another good example of this is like that veteran quarterback, that Peyton Manning type, where it's like one day you just don't have it anymore. It's not that you're less smart. Or you can't read the defenses anymore. Like Dan Marino, right? Like at some point he lost his fastball and then that was it. Bro, you know what we call somebody who really knows the game and really understands what the other team is doing but can't physically do it anymore, right? They're a coach? They're a coach. They're a coach. (laughs) Yes. That's what if you know what's supposed to be happening but you either can't or physically don't want to. On any given, because he's 
perhaps more guilty than anyone, especially since he's been benched. I Part of me wonders if, like, we've seen this in other places like D- Dallas where he just, like, I'm just not going to. Just, like, two middle fingers in the air, you know? And I wonder how much of that is in play here. But, like, he is playing like a coach right now and, and not someone who can physically do it. But before we continue, Darius, I wanted to keep going on LeBron. So let's let's continue doing that. But since the Lakers are killing us right now i'm going to talk about ethos life insurance life can be stressful but getting life insurance shouldn't be that's why there's ethos ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast incredibly affordable and very uncomplicated at getethos.com there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives it only takes 10 minutes to apply and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family and in most cases with ethos you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden Having life insurance can free you from stress, and getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S, getethos.com. So, with LeBron, let's buy into my theory that he's no longer that dude, that LeBron that we've seen for so many years, and he's just a great player, a top five to 10 guy, somewhere in that five to 10 range. What does that mean for the Lakers franchise? Not just this year, but long-term. My first instinct says nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Like, I think the Lakers' long-term plan was always get the first guy and then get a second guy and then either A, hope that one or two or more of these young guys hit on a level where they can become a third guy themselves or a third and a fourth guy themselves, or they show enough where you keep one or two and then flip the other ones for a third guy. And then Mm -hmm. that's basically your team. I think that the Lakers... So if you've got a top 10-ish guy and his name is, you know... LeBron James, but instead his name was, I don't know, Paul George, (laughs) you know, and then you went out hunting for a second guy who was at that same level. I think that that's always been the goal. The fact of the matter is, is you need two, I think you need two like top 10-ish guys on your team and then probably a third guy who's in that top 20 to 25 range. Mm-hmm. in order to be a true contender. Right now, the Lakers have one of those guys. That guy's LeBron. I think the goal is to still go get a second guy who's a top 10 guy and then a third guy who's in that top 25-ish range. I'm not sure what it changes if LeBron is on the decline. We knew that LeBron was going to be on the decline. The Lakers got him at a stage of his career where you were basically banking on him declining but not so precipitously that it's like oh suddenly this guy's like barely a top 20 player and he's nowhere near that so like the bullish part of me and like the guy who sort of wants to push back against like any sort of sky is falling mentality and i'm not saying that that's you i'm i'm just saying in general there there's some of that out there that no like I don't know what this changes long-term in terms of the plan. Now, being able to execute the plan, we're going to see if it changes that. 
right? Yeah, man. Like that that's something with where I, I suppose we can incorporate some of the drama in, in this element of it. This is an unhappy group. And just as we are unhappy as fans, and this has been a pretty miserable season, that's, you know, that's going to be how the players feel about it too, right? And word gets around the league. I, I think that a max free agent in this type of market where there are a lot of teams that have max money would be maybe a little crazy <laughs> to join this and all that comes along with this. Now, I would love for that to happen. And I'd also love for LeBron to go on a huge run over these last 23 games and make me look like an idiot for saying he's just a top 10 guy, right? But the overall vibe of this team is not good. And I, I have concerns that people are going to look the other way when they have other solid opportunities in front of them. In terms of how it changes things, I generally agree that it doesn't on its face, but I do think that the type of guys, the type of second max guy, not that the Lakers can be choosers in this necessarily, but I think you need a Kawhi a lot more than you need a Kyrie next to LeBron these days. And I know that Kyrie and LeBron have won a title together. I think that the next superstar or, or whoever is that second max guy and whoever that third guy is, whether that you know they're traded for or however they're acquired, I think they need to be able to defend. And I think they need to have a certain degree of motor. Kyrie brings, and we see this in Boston, Kyrie brings a certain amount of drama as well. And we saw how him and LeBron mesh. Now they've made up and all that. It's easy to like not hate your ex-girlfriend as much when you haven't, you know, been with her for two years, right? But I think getting them back in the same room might involve some complications. And Kyrie's gotten better as a defender, but I think like having a guy like Kawhi that does like the meat and potatoes little things while still being a superstar. And then having a guy like LeBron to cover for Kawhi's lack of shot creation for others, which is probably the biggest weakness in his game at this point. I think that's a good match, even though they're similar three, three, four type of guys at this point. So more than anything, like I think, I think the Lakers need to surround LeBron with the motor guys, whether it's role players or the second max. No, I certainly agree. The thing is, what you're highlighting now is like the flaw in the roster construction with this team in general, mm -hmm. right? The Lakers, I think there are two types of players who fit incredibly well next to LeBron. Or let's just assume that like these guys should be relatively smart and sort of know how to play, right? Mm -hmm. And those are guys who shoot well in order to space the floor and mm -hmm. guys who are sort of like lunch pail dog type guys who are going to go yes. do all of the little things, right? It's not a coincidence that probably one of the best lineups the Cavs could have thrown out there and when the Cavs were humming as a machine, especially offensively, their lineup was basically Kyrie, you know, J.R. Smith or Kyle Korver, LeBron, Kevin Love, and Tristan Thompson. Mm-hmm. You know, Thompson was that dog. J.R. Smith could, you know, he could defend reasonably enough during mm -hmm. their championship mm -hmm. year. And he was one of the great streak shooters that the league had. Kyrie is right. Kyrie. And Kevin Love's one of the best shooting forwards the league has had in the last yes. five to ten years, basically. And mm -hmm. that's the roster. That is the construction that you use in order to build around a LeBron team. The Lakers did none of that right. this year. You know, like, I think that they got pieces. They 
they grabbed players who have pieces of those skill sets, but not players who are ultimately as well-rounded as those Cavalier avatars that would have been, right? So JaVale may be a guy who can pick and roll and get to the front of the rim and, and finish lobs, like similar to Thompson, but he's nowhere near the, the defender or the defensive or offensive rebounder, right? Mm-hmm. And, and on down the line, you can say that with every single player who is a comp on those best versions of those Cavs teams. But and, and also engagement level, like with a guy like JaVale versus Tristan Thompson, right? Yes. Like there's that's some that's a theme that keeps coming up in each of these the veteran guys, right? Like it's one thing if it's LeBron who like I can live with a, a disengagement from LeBron. I, I do have a baseline expectation, but I understand what he's providing in other ways. But like if a guy like JaVale is not engaged, he's not a rotation player in the NBA. Right. Like he's not the same dude that he was at the beginning of the year. And we talk a lot about the, you know, the pneumonia and all that. But like there's drama in on this team. You know what I mean? And and that I think has really infected a a lot of these guys. What is your like what's your read on what the hell is going on? I think it's a combination of the trade rumors, Mm -hmm. which sort of created this idea of even if these guys were on one year deals, Luke has rallied a bunch of guys on one-year deals for the past two seasons. He's done it pretty effectively. So even though these guys were on one-year deals, I think that the nature of the trade rumors and basically everyone being on the table put everyone on notice that none of them will be coming back. And Mm -hmm. if you remember last season... The Lakers sort of had that clear the air meeting. Andrew Bogut was still on the team, so you know how early during the year it was. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> That's always good, right? <laughs> right. Gives a you December, a little, yes. January clear the air meeting, yes. It gives you a little benchmark for when it actually happened. But <laughs> they got that out of the way early. They did clear the air. And basically, for whatever reason, give Luke credit, give the players credit, because they circled the wagons and, and, and sort of got back in well into it mentally they turned it around and these guys have not done that so i think it's a combination of the trade rumors i think it's a combination of sort of the pressure that we can talk about like oh playoff pressure and these guys have been in high stakes playoff games and you know rondo's probably the only other player who understands what it's like to play for this type of franchise because he played for the Celtics. But I don't know if anyone knows what it's like to play for the Lakers. And I don't want to be this Lakers exceptionalist guy, like even on a Lakers podcast, but, but just this idea that there is way more spotlight and pressure to perform that has been like magnified by LeBron's presence as well. There are a couple of people, uh, a handful of people that cover both the Lakers and Clippers. And, you know, I ask them like, what's the difference in your experience? And the response from all of them is the same. They say everything matters with the Lakers. Everything is blown out of proportion. Everything is a big deal. And that is a really grading and 
That's something that wears on you, that type of environment where every look, every post-game quote, and this was true before LeBron, but LeBron brings that on his own, and the Lakers already had that. So when you put that together, it just amplifies each other on, you know, and I'm guilty of this too. I'm last night like watching this video clip that uh, I think Ben Golliver posted and like, oh, is he talking about Kuzma? I think he's talking about Kuzma. And I need to stop doing that and speculating because that starts fires. But, and, and in reality, it was just like the response to a question that, you know, about the distraction of the play. It was, it was innocuous, right? But when everything is important, that really adds a certain degree of pressure that just doesn't exist. I think that's part of, like, we talk about the X's and O's and player development and all of that. I think that's part of why guys, when they leave, like Russell and Randall, they thrive even more than when they were here because they have the space and the freedom to make mistakes. Imagine if you were working your job at your desk and there's somebody making a big friggin' deal about every single thing that you do. It would just be just an exhausting environment to be in. I, I think the Lakers need to do more to counter that. We've got bigger fish to fry, but that is a, a, a huge part. And just to go along with what you're saying about how it's different being a Laker, just everything is a big deal. Yeah. And, and so look, man, like there is that pressure. There is the real pressure of, okay, these games for reals do matter, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think that the players would be blind if they didn't notice every LeBron shoulder shrug when they miss an open three-pointer or Mm -hmm. the sort of like what I like to call like the pleading with the gods hands that he does, (laughs) right? Uh When a mistake happens or when a guy doesn't make a defensive rotation Bro, that would drive me crazy coming from when a guy like that's playing phone booth defense, like you described it. And like, there are so many ways that I want LeBron to be a leader. I want him to criticize the young guys. There are so many different ways to do it. Like the right angle, in my opinion, is is about focus, right? And about making the right reads and, and the intellectual side of the game. But when you're playing phone booth defense and then you like look at somebody else like when they make a mistake and usually it's a mistake of commission rather than omission they were trying but you know they they got beat they made the wrong read right but there's effort level there I, I couldn't think of anything that would be more alienating if I was a teammate be like dude we see you on tape we're on the court with you yeah. we see all of this like how can you be the person delivering this message I would not be surprised if in the next I don't know three to five days LeBron turns back to the carrot instead of the stick Mm -hmm. in terms of trying to get everyone back on the same page to try to make this push. It'll help that they have a home game, you know? Look, man, like, I think everyone knows, and this gets back to your question, that they're sort of running out of time here. You would, people like you and me and fans in general, like, they've been on standings watch for two months already mm-hmm. right games back and lost column and okay they're two games out of sixth or they're three games out of first right earlier during the season like fans live live and die with that stuff right we're at the point of the season where the players are going to start to care and they're going to be standings watching too um, are, are you sure about that y- yes like m- my biggest concern just to count and i know your your midpoint on this but my analogy for what I'm seeing, at least, 
is that it's like the last couple of weeks before school's out and you're in elementary school Hmm. and you're like, you don't have finals or anything like that. Right. But it's that last couple of weeks where you can barely focus because you're just ready for it to be over with. So like, I I really hope you're right. I'm concerned that it's going to go the other way. And I'm not seeing guys playing with that sense of urgency. That phrase has been tossed around a lot over the last week. I'm not seeing guys like really going for it and just failing at it. I'm seeing guys that are like looking at the clock, waiting for it to hit five o'clock so they can go home. Yeah. That's an interesting no, that's an interesting point, and it's something that I wasn't considering within the context of me looking at at it from all of these things that could be weighing on them. Yeah. But yeah. you've taken it from the other direction of, you know what? Maybe they just don't care. Basically. Some of the I mean, and, and maybe the tape some, the tape provides some clues in that direction that can always change, right? The, there can be something that but but I don't know, man. I don't know. The the defensive side is certainly true. Like I don't know, man. They are a mess right now. And I just want to sort of reiterate the point that I was making earlier is is that so many things are falling apart around LeBron and and I think that he's sort of watching the sand go through his fingertips a little bit. Mm. And that's got to be a frustrating thing for a player who is basically not like that old phrase of, of I control my own destiny. So mm-hmm. LeBron's been in a position where he's basically controlled his own destiny for basically the last decade. Mm-hmm. And he's controlled it exactly the way that he wanted it to. It's It's gone the way that he wanted Every choice yeah. that he's made has has come up roses. Yes, he's lost some finals, but he's gotten to the finals. You know, yeah. he left the Cavs the first time, went to Miami, ran off a couple of championships, went went to four straight finals. He saw that that might that that ship might go down, and he then went back to Cleveland, went to four straight more finals, and maybe had one of the biggest finals victories in the history of the league, if yeah. not the biggest. Yeah. Right. And so every choice that he's made has come up pretty much golden for him. And I think right now in this situation, he's probably looking at things very similarly to what he was looking at with the Cavs last season in the lead up to the trade deadline, where it's just like, are you kidding me? Like, this is what I'm stuck with. And then the Mm -hmm. Cavs made all those trades and sort of revitalized the team. And. And LeBron right. got back on track, and then they made their push. And look, there's twenty, basically 20, 21 games left in the season. There is no more time. And that's sort of the point that I was making about these guys. They know the standings. They know that they're out of the mix right now. And how that sort of pressure impacts them and and how it plays out on the court i'm not sure if there's a direct correlation or not between some of the things that we're seeing on on the floor in terms of the types of mistakes and how much they're getting after it or not like to be honest though rondo and javel look like they're pouting everyone else sort of looks like they just are trying but they're coming up empty Josh Hart looks like he's trying. Reggie Bullock right. looks Tyson like Chandler. he's trying. Yes. Tyson Chandler yeah. looks like he's trying. KCP is up and down. But even when mm-hmm. he is engaged, he's still like not making shots. 
he's still right. like not making the appropriate plays like things aren't going his way the same way that they did in like the second half of of last season and I think those types of situations have a way of weighing on you and just sort of just spiraling downward right JaVale and Rondo look like they can be gone yeah, no, and, and that, that very well may be. I, I think one of my fundamental beliefs about life and, and specifically basketball, because I've seen this with my own eyes, is that there's no substitute for enthusiasm and you can't fake it no matter how hard you try. And that's my biggest concern with this team and, and how it's falling apart is that they and there may be some veterans that are digging deep to try and fake it but you just can't and that's why i i think of the analogy of the school kid that's got a couple weeks left in school and is just waiting for that to happen or the guy at work who it's 4:38 and he's looking twice every minute until it gets to five o'clock so he can clock out and go home um I see a profound lack of enthusiasm between the players, the coaching staff. Luke's postgame quotes are ridiculous these days, man. Like the whole, you know, we're progressing, we're playing hard, man. Dude, no. This is that this is not the time for that. This is like the time to progress and get to those points. Like this is go time. This is time to have it click on all cylinders. And I just don't think that it's particularly possible at this point. So we're going to have plenty more opportunity to break down i think the uh you know the demise of the 2018-19 lakers i um i'm i'm sad to see the way that it's been going i would love nothing more than for it to turn around but i have held a benefit of the doubt for this team and lebron specifically that when it was time and i've said it multiple times on this show when it was time to flip the switch, access those extra gears, they were going to be able to do it. I think that if the environment around the team were better, I still think that that would be possible. But I think that there's been a rift between Luke Walton and the veterans. Remember, he they confronted him in Golden State before any of the trade deadline rumors happened. Then the trade deadline happened. All the Anthony Davis stuff happened like a week later and compounded on top of that. So all, all of that, you know, really made it an environment that's difficult to be like, all right, let's go guys. Let's really get after it. That I just don't see it necessarily happening that way. And I would love nothing more to be wrong. So we'll have more opportunity to talk about that. You've been listening to Laker film and podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. Just give me a chance to think. Did they take <laughs> a little while to get wound up? I know it does take you a while to think. Rebound of Lottie. Nice rebound. The Lottie. Oh! I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right in my book. Will you get these idiots out of here? <laughs>